Welcome to Lompoc Foursquare Church's podcast. Enjoy the message. us more capacity individually and collectively as we think about our post-game party, we think about the fact that we're greater together. As a church, you've given us greater capacity. With hundreds and hundreds of people, you allow us to do more than we could ever do on our own. But expand our capacity, expand our compassion that we might Love and serve from the depth of our soul by the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Well, it was a long, long time ago, and if you're not old like me, you wouldn't know an old song that went something like this. What the world needs now is love. There were no runs. There were just love, sweet love, right? And there's been a billion songs written about love. Everybody's talking about love. Movies, plays, love. I will still tell you that what the world needs today is love. It's the opposite of acts of violence, the opposite of acts of hatred, misunderstanding. And it's part of the mission and vision of this church. It's the why behind what we do. We love God and we love people and we serve God and we serve people. People question God. We seem to question Him a lot. If God were standing here, I believe He would say, I have come. I've come in love. I came in the form of humanity to show you my love and to give every human being access to me. Access to the power of grace and forgiveness, mercy and life. I've come that you might have life and life more abundantly. I've come to remove darkness and give you light, to give you the power of the Holy Spirit. And all you need to do is just believe and receive and step into my grace. Step away from humanity and step into the holiness of God. To step away from the human condition as it is and the reality of my presence and my grace and the challenge to all believers, not just those who've yet to step across the line to become saved, or step across the line to become filled with the Spirit, but the challenge to all believers is not to allow hatred to reign and rule in any part of our heart. It's a challenge because people hurt us, people misunderstand us, we all have our own ideas and ideals, our own values and our mores, we all have our own things that make us passionate where we could somehow hold a grudge against someone else or bang our fist on the podium and say, this is the way it must be. We live in a world where we don't all want to take ownership of our part of the problem. So God comes down and he says, where there is tragedy, I am right there. But I ask this question because people were asking it on social media. Where was God before this happened? 
And the answer is the same. He was right there. The God of the universe was right there, willing for anyone to step into his grace and his mercy and his forgiveness. The God of the universe is standing right here today in our community today to cleanse us from bitterness, from prejudice, to work through the human soul to give us a love that somehow would define even logic or reason. The highest expression of love, and you can write this down in your notes, is sacrifice. And to quote my old preacher friend, if you ain't sacrificing, you ain't loving. He always said ain't. He stuck his chin out and said, you ain't nothing if you ain't loving. He also said, if you're not reading, you shouldn't be leading. And if you're not thinking, you'll end up stinking. That's always what he said. He pastored a church during the Jesus movement in the 70s. The church was uh, 20 people when he arrived, and within three years, it was 3,000. People were coming to find out about this Jesus of love who accepted everybody just as they are. I still love the fact that this church has six front doors. And if you've been here any length of time, you've heard me say this, and if you stay here, you'll hear me say it again. I repeat myself a lot. When we expanded this side, we did not have to put those doors in. It was not required by the city or the county. And I said, I want to put in two doors over there. They said, oh, yes, for people convenience. I said, oh, no, that's the second reason. The first reason is it's symbolic that a room this size would have six entry doors. It's symbolic because whosoever will may come to God and whosoever will may come to LFC. There are some churches who, who, who are aging and they don't want young people to come. I asked them, why? Because they'll change the culture. It won't matter. In a few years, you'll all be dead. The church could become another bar or pizza parlor. <laughs> people don't like change. You know, who, cha who moved my cheese? People don't like change. The only thing that we did here that nobody complained about was when we got these new chairs. We used to have burgundy chairs. We got these chairs, and the seats are wider. Therefore, no one complained. That's good. It's funny what we gravitate to. And it's also interesting what we are willing to sacrifice. So I want to go to John chapter 20 and give you a little Easter sermon, and then we'll get to the rest of John. The reason I want to talk about John today and use John, John in the Gospel of John, and then 1 John, is because John is an interesting fellow. Whenever he writes, he writes things like this. The disciples were together and the other disciple. The disciples were there and the other one whom Jesus loved. He's writing about himself. I just think it's great. It's like, it's like taking a family photo right? And putting an arrow over one person, this is the one that Jesus loves. John 20, verse 1 and 2. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, 
There it is. The one Jesus loved. And she said, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. Now, the reason that is spoken is because they didn't believe Jesus would rise as he said. So it's obvious that somebody must have taken him or stolen him because he's not here. And so in verse 3 and 4, you runners, joggers, marathoners will love this. So Peter and the other disciple, there it is again, started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple, (laughs) this is him writing about himself, the other disciple outran Peter. Big deal, John, because historians tell us that Peter was older than you. Big deal. And Peter reached, no, John reached the tomb first. John, verse uh, 5 and 8, chapter 20, he bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and a little bit winded, kind of like Forrest Gump, he goes running right into the tomb. John beats him, but it's interesting that John stops, and he probably takes his his hands on his knees to catch his breath, but he doesn't go in. I I think there's something important there, and if I could spiritualize for a moment, I'm going to spiritualize on this text. There's lots of people who stand on the precipice of the risen Savior, but don't go in. There's lots of people who know the message of the cross, that we can be free and mercy can flow, but they don't step over the line. If you've heard that phrase, are you all in? Will you step in? Will you step over? For some reason, John, the one who Jesus loved the most, doesn't step in. But Peter, oh Peter, (laughs) impetuous Peter, the one who pulls out the sword and cuts off the soldier's ear, you know that guy. Peter says, hey, no filter, I'm going in. And I like Peter. It reminds me as we're thinking about love today and talking about love and serving others that sometimes we just need to step in and, and not calculate too much. Somebody has a need, just, just step in and say, how can I help you? Someone is taking their groceries out to the car and the milk goes rolling out. Oh, I wonder what I should do. Let me stop here and calculate the centrifugal force of the gallon. Just just pick it up. Ask somebody how you can help them. Step into a need. Step into a place. But you can't step into the life of someone else with love and grace until you've stepped into the life of the risen Savior. And so he saw the strips of linen lying there as well as the cloth that that had been wrapped around Jesus' head and, 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 and the cloth that was still lying in place separate from the linen. And finally... The other disciple himself, he's writing, who had reached the tomb first, also went in. And when he went in, what happened? He saw and believed. The more we see Jesus, the more we believe. And the more we believe, the more we love. The more we know who the Savior is, the more we will want to be like him. So this same John now, back in chapter 13 of John's gospel, it says in verse 1 and 2, it was just before the Passover festival that Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. And I love this line. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. 
Some Bibles say he loved them to the uttermost. Other Bibles say he loved them to the end of time, not just the end of the Gospel of John or the end of his time on the planet, but till the end of time. He loves them to eternity and beyond. It's new life. It's new power. It's new love. It's, it's an understanding that love will live forever. Hatred, and I'm glad to report this to you this morning, hatred has an expiration date. Love does not. In 1 Corinthians 13, 13, Paul says, now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. And the word greatest there is not just the amount, the, the quantity of love, but the quality of love. And the capacity for this love to reach every person on the planet and also be eternal. It will never stop. So now having known all that, let's read again from this John. Now he's older, 1 John chapter 4, and he says these very familiar words. And if you read them with your best 1005 voice, here we go. Dear friends, let us love one another for love comes from God and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God, whoever does not love, does not know God, because, because, so if you are a product of being reborn, spiritual life, then you are a product of a brand new father, and his DNA is now in you, and the Holy Spirit, who now lives inside of you, brings that same heart and capacity to love and receive love the ability to give love away and need to be loved, the ability of God's love and grace to flow through you because God is love. So just write this down in your notes. Something like one of those duh moments, like we didn't know this, but write it down anyway. Love comes from God. Everything God does in the universe is because he loves us. He created beauty and nature for our pleasure, the Bible says. And next time you take a breath, which you just did, which you didn't know you did, but you did, thank God that the atmosphere he created is perfect for us to be able to survive. And that the earth is spinning, and it's spinning at the right rate of speed, because if you slow it down or speed it up, we would all go flying off. Everything that God has orchestrated is motivated by love. God's singular motivation for you is love. The devil comes to condemn us, to have us live in our guilt and our shame. And I, I find this as, as pastoring as long as I have now, that there's still people who've come to Jesus and can't seem to shake their guilt and shame. And I'm just here to say in quick theology, that's the work of the devil, not the work of grace. That's the work of the devil, not the work of God. See, the devil wants to condemn us. That's why Paul says in Romans 8, 1, there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because when you condemn something, it's no longer useful. When you say, um, this piece of equipment now can no longer be used, and they cut the cord on it, so it can't be used again. Or this home cannot be inhabited by people. It's been condemned by the city or condemned by the county. In other words, there's lots of people walking around who are condemned by their past. Oh, you can remember your past, but you cannot allow your past to define you. Because if you do, you'll say that you're condemned. 
Now, Jesus will convict you of your sin. That's when you go, oh, I don't feel good about what I did. Ah, 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 I don't feel good about that. That's the voice of the Spirit through your conscience. That's a good thing. Otherwise, we'd all run amok. And what you do is when you feel convicted, you step into his grace. I'm not going to stay in the conviction mode. I'm going to come to God, 1 John 1, 9. I'm going to repent of my sin and let him cleanse me from all unrighteousness. I think there's a God who's desperate to cleanse people from their unrighteousness, to cleanse people from hatred, and to cleanse people from prejudice, and to cleanse people from living with hurt feelings because somebody misunderstood them or mistreated them. We have a God who's a God of amazing grace. We sang it this morning. So 1 John 4, 9, and 10 says, this is how God showed his love among us. Let's read it. He sent his one and only son of the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. I love this. This is the language of God, and God speaks one language. It's universal. You know what that language is? Jesus. You need love? I got Jesus. You need forgiveness? I have Jesus. You need help? I have Jesus. The declaration of God's love is Jesus, who loves us with an unconditional love. See, this love, the love of Christ, is sacrificial. It's not a sentiment. It's not a feeling. It's sacrificial. In fact, sometimes if you sacrifice your good and your convenience and your comfort and your privacy and your money, did I say money in church? Yes, and your money for somebody else, even if you don't like them, even if you don't feel anything, in some ways that's more loving than if you really like them because that's a bigger sacrifice. And if you've known Jesus Christ's dying love, his sacrificial love, if you know that, then that will be reflected in your life with how you treat others. You won't be too busy always. You won't be too selfish or self-absorbed. Your family will not be the only family that's important to you. You won't be indifferent. You won't be too self-centered. You will give. You will be generous, just like Jesus. You'll make yourself vulnerable. You'll be passionate about helping people with needs. You'll be taken advantage of. Good morning. You'll be scammed. And all the while, God will keep really good books. I had somebody just recently scam me. Not one of those phone scams. I'm too smart for that. Hello, this is your cousin. You don't sound like my cousin. <laughs> you need to wire me money right away with Federal Express. <laughs> yeah, sure, got it. Western Union. Yeah, no, you're the wrong guy. Sorry. But I was I was scammed by a guy, and I knew he was scamming me, and I helped him anyway. And as he walked away, I said, "Isn't this a great moment?" He looked at me. He had what he wanted in his hand. He looked at me. He said, yeah, it's a great moment. I said, no, it's really a great moment. Because you came asking me. God sent you here because you had a need. Oh, yeah, that's right. And I'm giving to you. And God's watching this holy exchange of generosity right before his eyes. And all the angels in heaven are leaning over. They got front row seats. Try this. It's really good. It works great. They got front row seats in this great exchange. And by the way, what I gave you was from my pocket. It's all I have on me now. 
But when the next person comes up with a real lead just like yours, God will watch the holy exchange happen. And I walked away and I said, remember, God keeps great books. Folks, I got scammed. I still got blessed. <laughs> if you've ever been taken for granted or somebody has somehow assumed upon your generosity, God still keeps good books. We, we get blessed for giving. Even if we were stupid in the process. We Come on. We get blessed for giving. Yeah. But if somebody says the bank is calling you, no, it's not the bank. Come on. Yeah. Contact the police department. They have a whole list of all the scams going on. See, the love of God is expressed in a sacrificial action of Jesus on the cross and exclaimed through the power of the empty tomb. The second thing I want you to see is that love brings us life. Life. 1 John 4, 9. There's this John, the other disciple, and he says this. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son in the world that we might, what? Live through him. If you go through the scriptures, rarely will you find the word love without the word life. They, they always go together. That love brings life, and life brings love, and love brings life, and we've passed from death to life, 1 John 3, 14, because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains, remains in death. So can I tell you a PG-13 story? Is that okay? PG-13? All right. <clears throat> so this couple comes to see me several years ago now, and they want to get married, and they're living together, they're shacking up, they're cohabitating. Uh, and I don't mean any disrespect, they said we wanted to try each other out first, like a test drive, to see if we were compatible, and in every way, you know, financially, sexually, uh, you know, the toilet paper go this way or that way, toothpaste, squeeze, or roll up. We, we wanted to test drive each other before we committed and they came to see the pastor. I go, why do you need a pastor? He did justice of the peace, you know. But they wanted to see the pastor, and, and they wanted to start out with God. I said, good. I can, I can help you. The wedding's in four months. I said, so here's, here's, here's my advice. I look in his eyes. Can you handle this? Make sure you can handle this. If you can't, I'm going anyway. I look in his eyes and I said, um, so you like, you like sleep with her and stuff? You have a license for that? He goes, no, we're going to the courthouse to get a license for the wedding. Do oh, you have a license? Who, who, who gave you permission? Oh, she, she, she does. I said, you do? You give him permission to sleep with you? He's not your husband, but okay. Now, some of you are getting nervous in here right now, so sorry. <laughs> I said, sweet, but you told me, sir, that you want to start your life out with God, your marriage out with God. What would your life be like if you stopped sleeping with her for the next four months? <laughs> I said, sir, in the Bible we call it sacrifice. And I said um, to, the, to, the, to the young lady, I said, um, how would that make you feel? Boy, if he did that for me, that would be the most meaningful thing in my life. Because I've been promiscuous since I was 13. And every man I've been with only wanted one thing, ultimately, 
I thought he was different, but boy, it was quiet in the room. And I said, okay, okay, my friend, what she's saying to you is it's the most meaningful thing. So go find a couch in someone's garage for the next four months and sleep on a couch. Oh, I don't, Pastor, I don't know if I can. And she looked over at him. Because see, they, they, they came in all like huggy bear licky face, you know what I mean? Now, I threw a bomb in the middle of their, their conversation and their life. And he says, in broken speech, ah, I don't know where I'll find a couch in someone's garage, but, but baby, for you, I'll do that. And she looked over at him. I'm going to fast forward the tape. He took a lot of cold showers. He slept on a couch in a garage. And on the night of their wedding, I did their wedding. On the night of their wedding, he would not sleep with her. Some of you guys are going, idiot. They read the Bible and they prayed about their past life and brought everything that they had ever done under the lordship of Jesus. And he said, we will pray together that we fall asleep. You want to talk about romance? I got a text from her the next morning. She's on her honeymoon. He texted Pastor B. I thought, oh God, what went wrong? <laughs> what happened? She said, I will never... Forget what you said in your office. That love is about sacrifice. And what he did for me for four months. And then the night of our, our wedding, in a really cool hotel suite, with Martinelli's all around, because they made a vow not to drink alcohol. And he gets the Bible out. We start reading the Bible. It was so weird. Then he just hugged me and started to pray and confess our sins before God and we fell asleep in each other's arms and we woke up, we slept in, we were so tired and we woke up. We read our Bible some more and I just had to call you to text you to see if we could talk and we, we ended up talking on the phone. And he gets on the phone and he said, I did good, Pastor B. I, I said, you did amazing. He brought sacrifice into the relationship. What a way to start. You see, if you have two people that are married and one is selfish, you have a problem. And if both are selfish, you have chaos. You have ruin. See, the God of, of relentless love did just love us for four months. <laughs> he loves us now and, and forever. And he says we've passed in verse 14 of John, uh, 1 John 3. We passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love Remains in death, 1 John 3, 14. Anyone who does not love remains in death. John is not saying that anyone who does not love remains in death to judge you, but to awaken you. To awaken something inside of us. Loving others is the test that we pass from death to life. And John would say, listen, everyone, wake up. Start loving like never before. Stop loving, start loving like Jesus, who healed the sick in love, who fed the hungry in love, who raised the dead in love, who preached about God's heart in love. 
If anyone had the right to come and be judgmental, it was Jesus, and yet he doesn't. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. Jesus preached about God's heart and love. He told people how to get to God in love. He taught his followers by washing the feet of the disciples in love. He protected people from religious wrath. The woman caught in adultery, he comes in love. He protects her. He valued people. Jesus loved people who were nothing like Jesus, and people who were nothing like Jesus like Jesus, and I think that's so great. He gave his life for the world in love. John 13, 34, 35 says, A new command, I give you, love one another. And now he goes for Mount Everest. We talk about raising the bar in life. He raises the bar all the way to Mount Everest. He says, as I have loved you, you love one another. You must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Someone tweeted the other night. I don't know who they are. I saw them on Twitter. And it said, the postgame party is the most righteous thing done for students in Lompoc. The most righteous thing done for students in Lompoc. I don't even know who he is. That's the beauty of social media when it's used right and correctly. See, love, and the best definition I could find is to love is to compassionately and righteously seek the well-being of another with compassion, with righteousness. Jesus comes to the cross. John 3.16 says, For God so loved this world that he gave his only son, Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved, what? Me and gave himself up for me. We love because he first loved us. It's the heart of our church. It's what we want to be known for. I've been praying for weeks that on Wednesday night after our family fun block party, during and after, people would walk away and say, we felt loved by that church. The love of Christ was made ever. Well, did they get the little, you know, ping pong ball in the cup or not? Did they get enough candy? That's all just frivolous stuff. We're allowing you front lines with our community. I just loved it the other night. Seen a brand new vice principal from Lompokai walk through. She had no concept of the party and said, I was, I'm amazed. I'm amazed. To see a few teachers for the first time step foot on the property and walk around and get some nachos and just see students that, that they teach right there. They were amazed. And I told them, you know what you're seeing? You're seeing a group of people who love God, serve their community. You're seeing a bunch of people who have met the greatest lover of all time, Jesus Christ. You're seeing people, and see, this is easy. This is called low-hanging fruit preaching. This is so easy. You know, you got kids on the Euro bungee doing that thing. You got that poor dancer in the video. But anyway, you got the, the, everybody's doing their thing. And we just, tell them, we just love God. Our motto at our church is love God, love people, serve God, serve people. And I guess the question would be, it's impossible to engage with God's love for me while not loving the people around me. And that would be the question. Are you loving people? And are you growing in your compassion and your capacity for love? 1 John 4.16 says, we 
We rely on the love of God, the love that he has for us. This is the verse for anyone who's been hurt loving somebody. You don't rely on the response of the person or persons. You rely on the love of God. That fills you up. Well, Pastor, I got really hurt by that person. Me too. By the way, I don't, some of you just think I don't ever get hurt by anybody. I just thought I should let you know. Let's all feel sorry for me for one moment. Oh, I'm just like you. Oh, he just walks around the community in the Air Force Base. Everybody loves Pastor B. Get off that cloud. That's a cloud. But you know what we do to sustain ourselves, to, to, to move forward? We rely on the love of God. We go to God and say, hey, God, that hurt me. And God says, I know, I saw it. Come here now. You know what God says, if you listen to him? I'll take your pain away. I'll help you to love like you've never been hurt. (laughs) And I'll make sure you're okay. And I'll fill you with my love. And when he does, guess what happens? Number three, love conquers fear, the fear of getting hurt again. John, this one who, the other disciple, he says, 1 John 4.18, there is no fear in Hello. I wish he was here. I'd get that phone and say, oh, you should be in church. (laughs) But there is no fear. Where? In love. Perfect love. Come on. Drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. But the one who fears is made perfect in love. God, I'm afraid, but I'm coming, stepping into your presence, and you're going to make me perfect in your love. God is saying to us, we do not have to be afraid. By the way, if you live in fear, you will never make your greatest kingdom contribution ever. We cannot be afraid of making our greatest and most loving kingdom contribution. We can't be afraid of it. We step into it and say, God, how would you use me? By the way, this is not a commercial for serving on Halloween night. This is bigger than that. This is saying to the Lord, make me a servant of yours. Make me someone who receives your love, who, who, who gets your love and is willing to sacrifice for others because of all you've done for me and for us. As we get ready to finish, here's my prayer. Jesus, take our lives. Not very long. Matter of fact, you could, you could pray it. Jesus, take our lives. Make them what you want them to be. Take our lives. There is no greater place to live than in a place of knowing that you're loved by God, that you're forgiven for mistakes, that you're forgiven for unrighteousness. There's no greater place to live. And the second great place to live, receiving his love, is giving his love away to other people. Husbands, love your wives. I don't know about that. No, it's a command. It's not a debate. As Christ loved the church and gave himself for the church, you love your wife like that. Jesus says, love one another as I has loved you. Mount Everest kind of love. Let's go for it. We hope you enjoyed today's message. Please visit us at mylfc.com 
for more information about our church. Thank you so much for listening.